So let me pray again as we begin. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power made perfect in our weakness. And as we grapple with some of that this morning, Lord, would you be close to us? Would you make your presence really known to us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning in Jesus' name? Amen. So if you, you don't know me, my name is Lynette. We've actually been in the church now for about 10, 11 months, I guess, coming up to a year. But we're still quite new here at St. Matt's. Um, and, and I guess um, I was going to start this morning with a bit of a confession. I hate green peas. Green peas. I think you'll agree that um, living here in Britain, I come from Singapore, it's quite a feat to be able to raise your children into their 20s without ever knowingly serving them green peas in any meal at home. Um, I'll do mange too, I'll do the chunkier sugar snap peas, I'll eat peas if they're served at a meal, so please don't feel like, oh no, you know, we can't, we can't invite them around. Um, I will eat them if they're served to me, but I won't knowingly or willingly cook them unless they can be disguised or hidden. In fact, last week my daughters and I had this chat on WhatsApp and we were talking about um, Maddie who's just made a, a green mac and cheese and she put in broccoli and spinach and peas and we were really giving her a hard time um, because of the peas. But this all stems from Sunday lunches as a child growing up in Singapore. My parents loved to take us out for meals, which were nothing like what we had at home. So, you know, we come in Asia, you know, we eat rice a lot. But on Sundays, we would go out for roast chicken with baked bacon and chips, what's not to like, followed by conditional ice cream for dessert. I'll tell you why conditional in a minute. But in the 1970s and 80s in Singapore, this was a real treat. Unfortunately, these meals only ever came with one veg option, and that was green peas. And my mum would insist that we would have to eat everything before we could have dessert. So therefore, conditional ice cream. Um, and my enduring memory from those lovely family lunches was the refrain, eat your peas so you can have dessert. Now, peas are nothing like Chinese Asian vegetables, which are leafy and can be flavored with all sorts of sauces. So my remembrance of peas is that they're round with skins that get stuck in your teeth and sometimes they were barely defrosted. Um, I know somebody might come up to me afterwards and try and persuade me otherwise, but, but I have memories of, enduring memories of mouthfuls of peas so that I could get to the ice cream which awaited me. Or alternating a mouthful of peas and then a mouthful of ice cream because they got tired of waiting for me to finish these peas. And so they'd say, come on, you know, eat one after the other and then you'll get both eaten. But this has a serious point. If we magnify this about a million times, I think some of us think that this is what God says to us as we go through challenging times. This is painful, this is hard, but it's good for you. You need to get through all this horrible stuff in life so you can get to the good stuff, to the blessings. You need to endure the suffering so that after all the suffering has passed, then you'll get to the blessing, the presence of God. Now this morning's passage will be familiar to many of us and if you were listening to the reading, you'll have heard some very difficult words used which describe the huge amount of pressure and difficulty which Paul and his companions faced, not just once or twice, but over and over again, almost relentlessly. 
And so our passage today actually teaches us something quite different. As people who seek to live for Jesus, to share the gospel with others, we're not put through our paces, enduring pain and difficulty and suffering in the hope that we get to the wonderful blessings at the end. This passage actually teaches us that the wonderful stuff, the presence, the power of God is right there in the middle of our struggles and our pain. Jesus himself is right here beside us in our hardest times, whether we know it or not. So this morning, there are four Ps which summarize the focus of this passage for me. Not green Ps, I'm pleased to say, but four Ps. This is the way my mind thinks. I'm really sorry. Um, it speaks to us of, next slide, I think, speaks to us of paradox. It's slow. That's fine. That's great. It speaks of frozen Ps. Ugh. Uh, yes. So speaks to us of paradox. It speaks to us of pain. It speaks to us of presence, and it speaks to us of power. So paradox. We define paradox as a seemingly absurd or, or contradictory statement or proposition which really reveals a profound truth or something or a situation that seems like there are two opposite things that don't seem to be possible together, but actually is true or possible. And if you've looked through the Bible, you'll have seen that biblical truth is full of paradox. From the very beginning, from creation, we have a God who is over all, who is over all the universe, but he is also with us. He's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He is Lord of lords. He's the, the creator of the universe. He holds all things in his hands, but he is Father. And Jesus is the King who comes to be servant of all. Jesus' humiliation is his glory. His death brings life. And so here's another. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And this treasure is the good news of Jesus. In Paul's letters to the Corinthians, he reminds them over and over again that his ministry has always been to bring the good news of Jesus to them without pretense, without lies, without grand displays or great platform skills. And he refers to himself as a jar of clay. Now, this was earthenware, not, not stone. So these days, we tend to think of pottery as art, don't we? Or at least a bit ornate, you know, a bit like those those nice pots that you can buy from Ikea, which are nicely kind of decorated, or, you know, we put them on display. But in the Old Testament, right through the Old Testament, references to clay actually implied fragility, something easily crushed. So Job says, remember that you molded me like clay. Will you now turn me to dust again? And clay pots are used a lot right through the Old Testament to depict humanity in the hands of our creator God. So Isaiah 45 says, woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? And Isaiah as well says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. See, jars were used in a different way in Paul's day. They were sometimes used to conceal treasures, 
but they were pretty ordinary, like kind of like the reusable bags or paper cups we might use, not, not the ornate pieces of sculpture that we think of today. They had little value or beauty. They weren't supposed to attract attention. So this morning, to kind of give us an idea of, of what he might have been talking about, I've brought um, my grandmother's heirloom jewelry. Don't worry, it's not my favorite stuff. It is, yeah, it looks quite nice. It is gold. So I've got a brooch here and several rings. I actually don't know how much they're worth, but because they're heirlooms, I guess they are worth something. But I've put them in a paper bag, and I have to tell you that just bringing them here this morning like this makes me nervous. And I was kind of like, does this, this really feels like a bad thing to do. But this is what it is that Paul is describing. So this passage is full of paradox, our weakness, our lack of permanence and beauty is all meant to display the beauty and power of the gospel. Now, some of us will have heard of the Japanese art of kintsugi, which is where gold paint is painted over cracks in a pot, and the cracks add to the beauty rather than marring it. But Paul goes even further, and he says, the very substance of our being, in all its frailty, in all its imperfection, is the perfect vessel for displaying God's power, his wisdom, and his might to a watching world. As cracked and broken as we are, it is Jesus' light that shines through. But rather than kintsugi, where you're supposed to admire the vessel, we as clay jars, the low quality of us as vessels, actually causes the focus to be on the contents within, God's glorious power and light, and not on ourselves. When you think about it, you think, well, normally fragile things are placed in strong vessels, aren't they? When we moved, we kind of placed all our valuables into as strong boxes as we could find. The outer covering is meant to protect. It's meant to keep the fragile inside safe. But this is the other way around. These vessels can barely contain the power which lies within. We've been thinking over the last 24 hours of wars and our desire for peace in this world. And um, last week, Pete and I were, uh, we were privileged enough to be at a conference of European um, workers seeking to share the gospel on campuses across Europe. And one of the stories we heard was um, from a staff worker called Marina, who works with IFES, so it's the Fellowship of Evangelical Students um, in the Ukraine. And she talked about how um, the, the headquarters for the student fellowship in Kiev had been bombed out and they had no power, no electricity. So they came to um, the student work and they said, we would really appreciate having generators so that we can get our laptops going and so that we can do things online for the students who remain in the Ukraine and are struggling for fellowship. And so two generators were donated uh, and, and they used these generators in this bombed-out building. And they started to discover this amazing thing. Because of the generators, they weren't just able to use their laptops. The generators produced heat and produced light. And so you had all this warmth and light shining out of a bombed-out building. And it started to attract students and young people and just exhausted local residents who had nowhere to go and they were just drawn to this lighted building, lit from the inside by a power source that nobody else had. 
And they were able to share the gospel and share God's love with people in Kiev in a way that they had never been able to do before. And that's the picture Paul is painting for us, the power of the gospel at work within us. Now, we need to be aware, some of you might think, oh, you know, the Greeks used to say, yeah, it's just the spiritual stuff and the body doesn't matter. You, you, you can do anything with your body as long as it doesn't impact your spirit. And this is not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying we're anything but whole beings, but we're people who belong to Jesus with the power of God at work in us. I wonder if Paul thought about what Jesus said uh, in Luke 8. If you remember Luke 8, 16, Jesus says, No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. So it's counterintuitive, isn't it? It's not common sense. And yet when God himself chooses to put his power in us, his reason is that he has a purpose for us. He chooses to use us to hold the gospel, to bear the gospel so that we can reveal his light. The point is that jars of clay can't really contain or protect their contents well. We haven't been chosen by God to bring his good news because we're shining examples of truth and goodness and power and eloquence. I'm sure there are some of us here who are pretty wonderful, but that's not why God has chosen us. He knows we're inherently weak and he chooses to use us. The gospel is not powerful because of the people bearing the message, but because it's God's revelation of his glory. So that's the paradox. And it's important we begin here because the next P is pain. It's immense pain. Because somehow through these weak vessels, Paul and his companions withstood huge amounts of pressure. And he says, we are and we are. Those are really important words because today is Remembrance Sunday and that picture of soldiers fighting in their units in World War II, we need to keep that in mind. If you've ever watched Band of Brothers, um, you've seen that sense of, of brotherhood, of people standing together, that willingness to sacrifice for one another. It's not something many of us have experienced. But the fact is we are together in this. We're not fighting for ourselves individually, but we have strength together with our brothers and sisters. And so Paul says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're surrounded. We're under extreme pressure, but God has kept us whole. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We have questions. We need clarity. We need direction. But God gives endless hope of solutions. He speaks not just to our fragility, but he speaks to our emotions as well and our need for purpose and direction. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We might be despised or ill-treated for the, the faith position that we're taking, but God and his heavenly armor, armies are ever present to help us to show the way. He is there waiting in the wings sometimes to, to act on our behalf, kind of Lord of the Rings style, You just when you think you're down and you're almost out. You know, the armies are coming and we need to be aware that he is working for us in the heavenly realms. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We're pushed to the limit, but God sustains and revives and restores us. In fact, this was such a reality for Paul that if you read chapter six, he does list all the different trials that they encountered. 
they'd been in great endurance, in troubles, in hardships, and in distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, in riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, hunger, purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report, good report, genuine, yet regarded as impostors, known, yet regarded as unknown, dying, and yet we live on, beaten, and yet not killed, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. It's quite a list. And it just says to us, in the reality of life, there's good stuff in there with the bad stuff, but Jesus is the one who is demonstrated in our lives. Their repeated survival, even under all these threats, showed the resurrection life of Jesus is powerful and active. Now, this is a Sunday morning. You might be sitting here thinking, you know what? I live in nice, safe, quiet Bath or the surroundings, Bristol. I'm a student, I work in an office, I'm retired, you know, I'm a mum. What do I know of being crushed, persecuted, struck down? Some people actually go further and, and feel rather guilty about it. My faith can't really be worth much because I'm not like one of those in the suffering church. I'm not like one of those who's having to stand for Jesus in a war-torn country. And there are two extremes of response, I think, that sometimes if suffering greatly is not our experience, we can go to Christian catastrophizing and we view all the difficulties in our lives as suffering or persecution. And I was kind of on my way to church and then I was given a ticket for speeding and that's real persecution, you know, I'm suffering for the gospel. Or I was on my way to, to a prayer meeting and I didn't manage to find a, a car park space, you know, that's real suffering. You know, that, that kind of Christian mentality that goes, oh, I'm really suffering because actually it's a bit like when our immune systems kick in because there hasn't been enough kind of for them to, to overact. Pete said it's like spiritual lupus where you're kind of over-sensitive to everything that's difficult. And that's one extreme. And the other extreme is to kind of go quite apologetic and apathetic and we think, my life is so easy, I feel really guilty. And I'm not undergoing suffering and persecution, so I must be a rubbish Christian. And rather than choosing to live for God's glory, whatever he's given us, we just feel guilty and we do nothing. You know, the, the staff worker in the Ukraine who told us her story, before the bombs hit Ukraine, she said actually the hardest thing she'd ever endured was the loss of her mum to cancer. And that, that is hard enough. But in the last year, she has endured the loss of close friends and family. She's seen lives shattered. She's seen cities destroyed around her. She is the same person that she was in 2019. But the power of God shines out of her in a new way because she's relied on him more and more. At the baptisms two weeks ago, we heard amazing stories of Peter and Isaac and Sam who have faced huge battles and yet lived to tell of God's grace in their everyday lives, even with continuing challenges. There is no proportional you know, sense in the Bible of if you suffer more, you're more holy. Or if your suffering is deeper, actually your, your testimony is more worthy. God calls us in different ways. But he calls us to live for Jesus, whatever the circumstances, 
to let his light shine, whatever the cracks there are in our lives. But how? How does this happen? So the third P, his presence. I said earlier that the, the message of the Bible is not that we endure the hard stuff so we can achieve the wonderful stuff later. One of the greatest blessings of going through trouble and stress and challenges and yet seeking to live a life pleasing to God is that it is actually only when we shed that self-dependence that we all have by the bucket load that we actually become more aware of God with us. Whether it comes in the form of, I can cope on my own, or God has to solve my problems in this particular way, it's actually when we come to the end of ourselves, when we don't have a solution, when we can't even articulate what we want God to do for us, that we suddenly become attuned to his presence. Now, don't be mistaken. He is always there. He has promised to be with us. But sometimes we try to keep calm and carry on without him. And that's to our own detriment. And there's a really powerful story that's been in the newspapers. You might have read it um, as part of Remembrance Sunday um, where somebody talked, I think it's in the Telegraph, actually. In 1998, there was a military helicopter a British military helicopter that suffered a, a catastrophic, catastrophic failure. And it crashed just outside the military base in central Bosnia just before Christmas. Now, despite the heavy snow that covered the area full of landmines, two of the men, there were three on board, two of the men were quickly evacuated. But there was one man who died on impact. And they decided that they would leave him and rescue him in the daylight so as not to risk more lives. And the, the family of this man who died um, wrote a piece um, in the Telegraph. And they say that what matters 25 years later is that he wasn't left on his own in that helicopter. He died, but the army chaplain, a man called Padre Tom Place, made sure that he was not alone. And it says he walked through a potential minefield he said, I trod carefully in the footprints that had been laid before me. I just thought, I need to be out there at the crash site because Captain Phil Jarvis was already deceased. He's in the wreckage, he thought. The padre thought, I just have to go and be there. I felt someone needed to be with him that night. So I got a warm jacket and a Twix, and I went out to the site and I remember it being freezing cold. I still remember the smell of the burning helicopter in my nose. And he zipped himself up to his neck in his sleeping bag and he sipped his tea and kept this dead man company through the night. But he says, he could see an illuminated cross on the top of a hill further up the valley. And this padre says, it spoke to me at that moment that despite the horrendous thing that had gone on, I felt God saying to me personally, I'm with you in this situation. God is saying to you, I'm with you in this situation. Because it's God's presence with us. And finally, it's God's presence that reveals his power. So finally, Paul says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. All this suffering 
bears the imprint of Jesus' death, all that Jesus went through to get to the cross for us. But in this way, his life is revealed. If we had Jesus' death without his resurrection, Paul and his companions would have been destroyed. But the power they had, they had to endure and persevere in this great suffering showed that Jesus is gloriously, wonderfully alive. You see, a dead master has no strength, no power to strengthen those who follow him, but a living and risen God endlessly revives and renews his children who look to him for help and comfort. So what should be our response today? The truth is that suffering is part of normal life. You don't have to be wanting to be in ministry and sharing the gospel to experience those hard times. And as those who follow Jesus, we're not shielded from pain and difficulty. And extreme pressure and opposition is often the experience of those who seek to live out a life of obedience to Jesus. And I think that's going to become more and more the reality in this country. But we should expect it. There's no basis here for a health and wealth gospel. But God in his love sustains us. More than that, he uses all that we go through to reveal his power to a watching world. That image of clay jars, paper bags, paper cups. As those who have the gospel, we reveal the light of Christ because we are fragile and impermanent. The Holy Spirit in us is that source of strength. Because we are shaped by the maker, his all-surpassing power fills us no matter what our shape or structure. Because we are chosen for the purpose of revealing his glory, nobody uses a jar to hold light unless he has a reason. And so there is a profound reason why God has chosen to do this in each one of us. Our fragility testifies to his power. The greater our endurance and suffering, even when God doesn't answer prayer to remove it entirely, the greater the demonstration that Jesus lives and has power to do all things. And really, this is, this is our personal testimony. Um, so our story, my story, is um, of my sister, who in 2007 was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she was a Christian. She was the person who mentored me. She was the person who led me to Christ. And in a last conversation I had with her before she went in for surgery, she said, you know what? I've learned not to ask why God has done this, but I've said to him, just do whatever honors you and glorifies you. And actually, because there was a, a blood vessel in the wrong place, she was actually in a coma for seven years, and she never recovered. She wasn't healed. There were hordes of people who came and prayed for healing, who came and sat by her bedside for seven years, um, and she wasn't healed. But her words that God would be glorified um, were heard and honored by the Lord. Because at her funeral, we heard stories of nurses, of medical staff, of people who had heard her testimony and had come to know the Lord for himself. And so this is not just something that Paul experienced 2,000 years ago. It's real and it's true today. So before the band comes up to, to play, I wonder if we could... Just close our eyes for a minute. I think some of us here today need to know that however we feel, whether we feel vulnerable, lacking in power, we are vessels that God desires to use, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. 
I think there are others here who are struggling with unanswered prayer, with that paradox of believing in a God who heals but hasn't. And we want God's response and feel that actually he's silent and far away, but these words today promise us he's here. His abiding presence is always with us. And finally, there are those, I think, who just feel broken, that there isn't a way out. And I can't even begin to think about bringing the gospel to others because I feel hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. And if that's your situation, God is saying to you, there is a way out. I am your hope. If you cling to me and you trust me. So in the silence, just for a moment, would you do business with the Lord? Would you ask him to show you his presence and his power in a new way? Father, we thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that your spirit is present with us. Thank you that we know these words of Paul's and we can say, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So help us, Lord, to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but is on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you glorify us? Glorify yourself in each of our lives and draw us close to you today. In Jesus' name.